Today's episode should be a lot of fun. Today's guest is Adam Ray, stand-up comedian, actor, voiceover actor extraordinaire. Uh, Adam sat down to, well, I wanted him to talk to me about how one starts a career in stand-up and uh, about that part of the industry, which I don't know much about, including how you write a joke, how you get started, how you... uh, start making an album and we get to all those things but the funny thing is that this was the ultimate away game for me uh adam is a very successful podcast host so we did this at his studio at his home and uh you know he's a comfortable host so as much as i got my questions in we definitely got on some really fun tangents and he got to ask me some questions so we'll also get into a little bit of my early career uh and some other fun stories from there and then we end with a very surprised connection to johnny resnick and the goo goo dolls so uh enjoy and uh, check out the show notes for all things Adam. Lock it up. Very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Now it's... Oh, yeah. Just want to look me right in the eye. You got to. I was looking at a forehead otherwise. (laughs) Not to say you don't have a nice forehead. I have a five head. I've been told that by like a few For acting real? teachers. Yes. I don't I feel like you have a normal forehead. College I've never really have been like, no, no, there's a thumb, there's room for like a thumb. You can put the whole them. palm. Where are they now? They're, actually a few of them are dead. <laughs> See, karma's a bitch. Tenured college. Make fun professors. of a forehead and try to live into your fifties. You're not gonna last very you're not, long. You're gonna die. No. Um I had got used to traveling like pretty early, and then it's just you know, like even the like jet lag, it's just like when like, you know, I'll go to New York from t- to uh, uh, Tuesday morning, and then shoot uh, this thing th- uh, the Wednesday and Thursday. No, I'm sorry, Monday. Shoot Wednesday, Thursday, come I can back see Friday. How you have this like hilarious. <laughs> come back Friday, but then go to Calgary, like land in the morning, and then go to Calgary that night oh, for a show, and then come back early Friday, early Saturday morning to do a show at the Dolby uh, in L.A on Saturday. So that's a, that is a lot. Like I I've done things like this before and it does take a bit out of you. But it's just like I have to just be extra, you know, strict about like man, try to get sleep. I got 10 hours of sleep last night for the first Holy time in shit. probably in since 1994. That's that's like a 16-year-old I get amount 5 of sleep. to 7 maybe. And you function. Yeah. It's 7 7 or 8 is like I need 10. I get seven or eight I'll like be happy with. But like, yeah, man, it's just like a... Well, because I think the image that people have for people who do what you do yeah. is that you like wake up at four and then you, you know, like hit clubs all night and then... I'm- oh, sleep all day. Yeah, because so yeah, my voiceover stuff is always real early. So that keeps me up early. And then... Um, sorry about that. And then... Uh, and then shows... You know, I, you, I every now and then we'll still stay out at clubs and like... Because the hangout is still very important, and it was when you get going into stand-up just to develop relationships and and meet other people that you're starting with so you can kind of have a support system in stand-up and be coming up with guys and be able to, A, it just makes it more fun, takes a yeah. lot of the, the pain and... and and just the str- makes the struggle or whatever you're building towards easier to go through if you have a fraternity of people to do it with. Okay, well, tell me about that, though, because this is something I know. I know nothing about yeah. how people actually start a career in stand-up. Yeah. And it seems well, like... Because nobody does. There's no blueprint, you know? So where did you... I mean, you were in Seattle, right? I was in Seattle, and I did a few open mics before I moved. You know, I started to... Sophomore year, I'd quit football to play Danny Zuko in Greece. And I was like, oh, acting's pretty fun. Still just a hobby, but it was really fun. And the whole, like... You know, I've been doing plays. Oh, yeah. 
I should find. Yeah, I should Please find that. My voice is sick. Was turning Just like an angel, right? Hilarious. Just Not what I was gonna say. Was puberty like it was on the cusp of. Like it was deeper for a sophomore in high school, but not at all what it is now. But because now it's like a resonant fucking velvet. I don't smoke cigarettes, but people think I do because it is. Uh, that's just weed and tequila. I feel like. Oh, that's a nice. That's a good ad for them, right there. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Want a career in voiceover? Kind of. Um, but uh, wake up in the morning, some frosted flakes, a shot of tequila. There's not. That's not crazy of a way to live. Frosted flakes. I love you. So that is my favorite cereal. Um, Whose isn't it? And actually, they were trying to replace Tony the Tiger about a year ago. And if they were going to go human. I think you might be. A- thank you. I spent probably two and a half hours on four lines trying to like you. I got to a point like anything where you go. I'm sure you're like this way with auditions or whatever. Like you just know, like if you knock something out good in the first take, you're like that was it. Or like, yep. you know, and you do VO2. And so it's like if you're reading for something, you go, oh, let me do a few more or you know, just to kind of, just as a safety, but you're like, no, it was that one. You just yep. know what you're, and, and how to self-edit. But uh, I was just overthinking it because I wanted it so bad because it's my favorite cereal. Yeah. And I was like, man, to be, you know, there's certain childhood things you get, you know, once it kind of becomes in your realm of possibility, you're like, oh, I want this so bad, but I ended up going with a, a, a Filipino woman. Cats one over the- Yes. I just wanted so badly to be paid to say Thundercats. I know, oh, dude. And then I'm in my house just like three and a half hours Thundercats. It. Oh, Thundercats. Oh, I, yeah. Like, you're just yeah, trying yeah. to, what would Michael Caine do, right? Once yeah. you're there, it's like, I know. not too much. Probably nothing. Just Probably. walk in, drop trow, and say, this is here if you want it. That is the Caine method. That's what that book says, right? Yeah. That's what he goes And by the way, I can hear some people uh, listening to this being like, oh, he's just going to bear bear it all and go take a look at what I'm working with. No, no, no. Let me finish the thought. He pulls him down. He's wearing pants underneath the underwear, but okay. it's like skin colored. And then he goes, like you told I was going to shove my penis, didn't you? And they go, we did. If we're being honest, Caine, we thought you were going to just pull it down. He's like, why would I do that? You know? So he can pull them back up again. Oh my God. That's why you do it. That's why you do it. He's probably, do you ever think about like once you got out into this business, you go, all right. And once, once you get your first taste of like, oh man, I, I'm in, I, I did whatever job it was where you go, you're now, it, that got you onto a lot for an audition or something that gets you even closer to seeing like, oh man, there's a, a, a thing that Tom Hanks signed in this office, but because I did so-and-so that got me here, I got to see that. So I'm that much closer to whatever it is that you uh, want, but like, uh, are there people that you think of, favorite actors that you're like, man, I hope I get to do this so that I can just get a chance to like kick it with like Sam Rockwell Rockwell, because we shot this thing and now we're going to rap and we're going to be in Tucson and there's nothing else to do and he wants to drink. Yeah, I do have this fantasy of just like, but it's all the really tortured actors, which I think the older I get, I actually am losing this fantasy. For years, it was the Daniel Day-Lewis fantasy. Yeah, why? It's like, I want to like hang out with, and I want to, because it seems like a fucking magic trick. Yeah. How did you, you really lived like Bill the Butcher? For like three and a half years, you'd go to bed and your wife is next to you and you've got a cleaver yeah. and you've got like a like a piece of plastic covering your eye. Yeah. Explain that to me. And then I feel like I've gotten to know some really difficult, you know, method actors over the time. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't actually know that I want to hang out with that. Maybe. No, too serious. Too in their head. No. Yeah. Sam Rockwell actually seems like the right move. Oh, I have a few buddies that are pals with them and they just are like, 
Yeah, man. What like what do you how cool do you think he is? Yep, he is that. Above and beyond. Yeah, man. I would want to party with not even party, but have like some scotch with Tom Hanks. Okay. Um with Mr. Rogers himself. Yeah, for sure, dude. Wow. Isn't it funny that there's gonna be a whole generation that think they go, Tom Hanks, the Mr. Rogers guy? Oh yeah. And I'm like, no, dude, the AIDS guy. No, dude, the gump guy. You know? The guy Toy Story and Mr. Rogers. That's what he's going to be to a whole generation. Like Schwarzenegger, people are like, oh, the Terminator? I'm like, no, dude. The cop who went undercover at an elementary school to fucking take down the bad guys. See, I'm right in the middle there. I'm He's the last action hero. Wow, dude. That's exactly who he is to me. Oh, God. It's, by the way, crazy that he has even had a career. At all. Like, when you look at those old videos, and you should, by the way, that documentary about him weightlifting. Oh, yeah. What's it called? Um, Painting. No, Painting Gain's the new movie that's coming out. What is it called? Fuck. Whatever it is. Yeah. But that that got famous after they were- doing the steroids like in the yeah. documentary. Yeah. Clips went viral of him. Uh, I think that ended up being in that documentary of him talking about how lifting weights was as good as coming. Oh, right? You've seen that, right? It's, 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 like, it's like I lift in the morning. I feel like I'm coming. I get the same feeling as when I'm coming in the morning and I do power cleans and I'm coming and I'm just coming all day long and you're just like, dude, I mean, what? that's awesome. I mean, if hanging out with Schwarzenegger is just coming all day, long. it probably is. <laughs> so that's. What's I want to think he's a guy too that's got stories for days. You know, like there's certain actors I feel like. Oh my God! You got to hear what happened in Kindergarten Cop. I was hanging out with the little girl. Yeah, she was right. Wonderful. She had the she had the she had the Lima friends. It was great. He's got to. A buddy of mine pitched Twins Two to no. him and Devito, and that story. If you go back and listen to my podcast about last night episode, whatever it is with Dan Levy, my buddy who just created and is shooting the first season of his show Indebted on NBC with Fran Drescher and Stephen Weber, he pitched Twins Two to Arnold and Danny. I think in Eddie Murphy too because he was going to be in it but the story is fucking phenomenal yeah I think so I can't remember what he played I think so but he went to Arnold's house and there was a picture of Arnold petting I want to say like a a llama and then the llama like was in the room when he came like I'm butchering the story a little bit but it was there was something about Arnold and a picture of him a painting of him with a with a creature you wouldn't normally like a pegasus (laughs) totally and then he's next to the pegasus in the room being like so what's the story for the movie you know Dude, crazy. Can you imagine pitching Arnold anything? It's hard for me to imagine taking him seriously. I know, dude. Because of the accent? Because of the accent, because his, like, his traps are bigger than my ass. I know, dude. And like, that just, it, it feels, it, he feels unhealthy to me, actually. Yeah. I like, I worry, I feel like I would need to take well, care of him. He's a bit smaller now because of the roids. I think he's like, I think he's de-roided. It just, he seems like a raisin now. Yeah. It's just like, it's all pruned yeah. up a little bit. I don't understand. A raisin he, that kicks ass. Oh my God. But you see in the new Terminator movies, he looks old as shit. I know. If he's a robot. But this is the thing that people who watch TV movies get so genuinely perturbed that's about. That's how They're they like, come. What's they that? show up to see Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> yeah. the Terminator. And they're like, I'm coming too. And he's up <laughs> yeah, there yeah, and yeah. he's coming. And if you can't see, Brian did a very generous jerk off motion. So your right. hand was very far away from your body, dude. It's measured. Good it for was, you. It was, Good for you, by the I way. I bring a tape measure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I you're asking about back. comedy. I want to I understand. Like, So... I started acting, I think, because my parents had to put me into a class where they actually like told you you could do this professionally. Oh wow! So I was like, a, I was a kids on camera in San Francisco, but it seemed. I like bet you were such a good kid actor. I knew how to suck up. I knew exactly. Wow. Yeah. But you also what were e- just doing lines and just lines memorize. Yeah, <laughs> doing bumps off the casting director's shin. No, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it didn't seem intimidating to you, right? No, it was the yeah. one thing I was good at. 
Wow. I was allergic to everything. I was the sick kid. I was like the oh, asthmatic you were? allergy, like oh, bubble it boy. All makes you sense. You look now, dude. so unhappy with oh, me. Oh, right you were now. the sick kid. You're like, oh, I wouldn't have liked you. <laughs> no, I would have loved you. I had a, I had a, a couple of Greg Seidlinger. Does it sound like a sick kid? Because it was. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, dude, you've got a little Greg Seidlinger in you, which oh. I loved. Him and I were best of friends, but he sneezed on every snack. He uh, was always late, brought me to wiping something, cleaning somebody i mean he just yeah dude ointments and creams but also a big dick right huge dude yeah sidlinger dude that sounds like a porn star name it was his real name it was three he became a porn star because his name was greg sidlinger but that's my thing is i started because of obviously the allergies and the and the large young penis yeah and because that class was like no this is you're gonna like go audition the woman who taught it used to play big bird no fucking joke Wait, Carol Spinney plays Big Bird. There's a couple different Big Birds over the years. Whoa. This was like a way previous one, Judy Berlin. And she went on to teach kids. And the whole idea is like, if you do, you know, class one, class two, you're going to meet some agents. And then you might end up going down to L.A. So the whole thing was always like baked in. It's a job. Gotcha. But I feel like you're in Seattle. How the fuck are you like, I'm going to make money telling right. jokes? I don't that- know. Because, yeah, it's a good question because you're so far removed from it that and I didn't have any family or anybody that was in the business, so I didn't know, I didn't have any ties or questions. There was a, a gal who was our drama teacher um, my freshman year of high school, and she had been to LA a bunch to do, I think some film work and like enough casting workshops. I think she helped work with some casting directors in Seattle. Uh, so she was the only person I knew that had any sort of experience uh, with stuff. She helped me get an audition for 10 Things I Hate About You for one line for this kid that yells, fight! And it went to a Chris Farley-looking kid, but they called me back this summer of eighth grade, and they were like, do you want to be an extra? And I was like, fuck yeah. So I went uh, to, uh, it was deep in Tacoma, Washington, south of Seattle, and I was in the prom scene, right? So it was two 16-hour days, and uh, but it was amazing. I was on set, and you know, I was you know just very naive and chumming up Heath Ledger and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Heath Ledger was the only one, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt that actually like didn't completely look at me as like a shithead extra that was like bombarding <laughs> them. They actually like shot the shit with me for about five uh, five or so minutes, That's and so, uh, wow. it was just crazy. And so then I kept watching after every take, like whenever I have a real big thing and I do a couch thing, and they're like they ask like what was your first thing like I'm gonna pull this club up because I was an extra but like I after every take I would go uh, watch at Video Village the the playback and be like oh where was I okay cool there's a wide shot of everybody dancing while Save Ferris was playing on stage so let me how can I draw attention to myself everyone's dancing so I would put my hands up and do like a crazy quick dance motion or at one point I kept separating myself from the girl they paired me with too uh, because I the camera would like move to her and the camera would be like over there and she's like what are you doing you're supposed to be dancing with me I was like I'm trying to get on fucking camera. Like Listen, the camera's baby. over there. Look, it's a it's a long career. We you aren't gotta... married yet, okay? You don't get to pull me around <laughs> yeah. yet. I'm trying to just get some sort of exposure from this delusionally. And so it, there's one shot uh, towards the end of it where I'm truly by myself. She's off to the side and I'm just fist pumping like a maniac. But it's like a clear, I kept standing in the way of like, I mean, there's like nine shots. And I went with my buddies I worked with at uh, Albertson's, the grocery store. We were all baggers and we all went. And uh, I mean, they're just going nuts and poor. I mean, and, you know, and they're like, dude, this is out in the theater afterwards. They're like, dude, this guy was in the movie. And everyone's like, dude, I don't fucking no, no I don't think he was. Um, but so that it's like, gal, do you recognize this? Yeah, do you, <laughs> do you recognize the double dick move? And so they, they, uh, they were really 
cool and supportive about it. But this gal's mom, who again was my acting, uh, I guess, mentor in high school because she did a few of the plays and then she would kind of give me advice as I started to kind of become more interested in it. And she was like, uh, you know, you should think about auditioning. If you want to do it professionally, like you got to maybe do it, go to a, a conservatory. And so I was like, yeah, I don't really know if it's what I want to do yet. And again, quit football, did Danny Zuko in Greece, got a real big um, kick from that. And it was just fun. Like, and, and I don't want to say it came super easy, but it I was comfortable in that yeah. on stage and 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 uh and you know you just also kind of can feel like you engage the response you're getting from people and you know because there you hear from you know your folks or whoever like oh you're that was so great you know when I did this the, the cowardly line in the sixth grade you know my mom was just so overly supportive that I'm just like I think I don't think I, I you know I think she's being mom and she's biased and then in high school it was other people and, and the teachers and then and this gal who I'd uh, known for a little bit, my friend's mom, who was like, yeah, you really should think about it. So then I was like, okay, cool. It's, I'm getting outside perspectives and uh, auditioned for, I'd really only applied to University of Washington to stay close to home because my mom uh, was still by herself. They folks split when uh, I was nine and my dad remarried. Mom didn't have anybody yet and my sister was gone off to like a boarding school. So I was like, I don't want to leave mom by herself. It was just that point where you start to see your folks as people, not as parents. And so it was just my mom and I and we became you know best friends and enemies because we were just us all through high school. And it was that thing of like, mom, give me some space, but like, can you make my lunch and wash my basketball jerseys? But then like, leave me alone because I'm a man. And you know? I love you so much yeah, and I'm so sorry dad's gone. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, it was yeah. the same thing for me. My parents yeah. split up right before I went to college. So it was oh. like, senior year dad's like hey guess what i'm gay and it was like no way what how did he did he just say it or did he like do you want like the whole okay i mean i want to know if like they were watching like some restoration show and he started like doing commentary and she was like you should be on the show and he was like yeah also how hot are those guys seriously like Like, how did he drop that ass no did he just say it well so for me i i had just started seeing my my high school girlfriend and i swear this is part of it we were in traffic, we weren't supposed to be out too late, and for the first time, she gives me roadhead. Wow! I'm 17 years You'll old. You'll never forget that. By I am the way. living. Li- I'm living an American dream. <laughs> yeah, I'm in an American car. I'm At what age, by the way, do you prism. think that is the American dream? I think 17. I think yeah, 14 to 18. You start to know that that's even a thing. That's because I don't even know if I knew what a blowjob was until about a week ago. But there's like, <laughs> no, like I think seventh grade. There was a kid named Jesse Mose. Everyone has the kid who was like fucking at a very early age, yep. did everything. You know, I had another friend named Jess Cass who said his parents invented Little Caesars. He was having sex in the fourth grade. Didn't know what sex was, but wanted it because he did it. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And then you start to learn what these things are and you're like, oh, you could get one while driving, which <gasps> still is very Seems crazy very to wrap your head around. It is dangerous. So I immediately got into a car accident. No. Seriously, we're in bumper to bumper traffic. Because there's no prep for that. And so I bump into this car in front of me. So I'm like, it's all, it's all. Oh, over. you were in bumper to bumper. So you got to be in an open lane highway, we, dude. I was just horrible. You got to be going was, from I, like. I was 17 and stupid. Dude, you got to be going from like Palm Springs to like Glendale, you know? Like we're just open roads. Maybe to LA to Temecula. That's the sexiest drive. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> Thank dude, God she'll get so turned official. on. Yeah. So I bump into the car. I'm not supposed to have her in the car at all because I have one of those like, you just got your license for oh, like yeah. fake drivers license things instantly get into this argument or this uh, this accident turns out it's an insurance agent that i hit in the company car with no. her baby in the back seat no so i'm like my life is over my id's gonna go i'm never gonna have the car again so i spend the whole day hiding and i eventually have to go home and i go home and it's like this is christmas breaks so my brother's home from college and i go home my whole family's at the dinner table waiting for me my mom my dad my brother and 
then they also like, come over, Brian. We have to have a family talk. I'm thinking like we don't we've never had a family quote unquote talk. Oh, like really? This. So, I so you knew down. something was up. And I thought they knew. And I thought about they the knew. roadhead bumper I to bumper thought that like someone had called from Allstate Insurance and I was screwed. I'm wondering, like, why is my brother have to be here for this? <laughs> so I sit down and then my dad looks at my mom and he says, Melanie, do you want to start? And she says, you know, it's your news. And then he says, uh, Ma, uh, but Graham, Brian. wait, wait, real quick. When he's when they say it's your news, where does your head go? Because that moment slows Cancer. down. Cancer. Right? Yeah. Instantly thought dad's dying. Because anytime I even get calls now from mom, stepdad, dad, like at a certain time that's not conducive to when they to to having you know what I'm saying like yeah. 11 p.m. Dad calls. I'm like, who's dead? Yeah. What's is dad dead? Is he just, calling me from beyond the grave? Ooh, that's exciting. Man. Yeah. That could be a whole adventure. Uh, so, so you think cancer because that's cancer. the worst ultimate. And it does slow down. And then he goes, Brian, Graham, I'm a homosexual. And that the face you're making right now is exactly where my face was because I'm just going from like, you're going to lie, you're going to lie. you thought Roadhead lie. took a quick trip down Cancer Avenue yes. and then did a fucking three-point turn and went down yeah, my dad's Gay Boulevard. Yeah. Dude. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. So time very much slowed down there. And I remember, I just remember that my brother and I went downstairs. We both cried. We said things like, things will never be the same again. And they weren't. So dramatic. <laughs> like, let's just be real. So dramatic. But um, yeah, dude. No, it was, I mean, oh God, it was like family 9-11. It was like, just, it is never the same after this. No yeah, one died. Dude. But it was just, it will, it, the fault lines of your family politics are forever different. Do you start questioning Everything? Are you like, dude, that time when he was really chumming up that dad at my soccer practice, was he just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't going there. What I did think, honestly, was this does explain the Streisand. I did have that thought because he did. By the way, this does explain the Streisand is your one man show. There it is. About your family, dude. There it is. It Holy shit. So there's there was that. And really, he was just a workaholic. He was just a workaholic. Yeah. And he didn't seem incredibly happy. But it never occurred to me that he was like sleeping with me. I don't know at that point yeah. like, at that point there weren't two gay dads on every sitcom and like adorable matching sweaters was it wasn't normal. a cultural yeah. cute thing yep. instead it was more like you just never assume that your dad who's married to your mom that just it wasn't even on the table and yeah. so because divorce is one thing divorce and a complete you know sexual orientation switch up yeah that's not even on the realm of possibility no at, and then like in 2000 like two I feel like Mm. You know, Ellen hadn't been out that long. No, you know, it's just yeah. like it was a different world back then. We hadn't seen Clay Aiken yet. No, no, the world. It we didn't know that unleashed. the stage was that big. We didn't for someone with that haircut. Did he end up in Congress? No, he lost. Really? Yeah, he lost. Did he run for Congress? He fucking did. Good for him. The stage wasn't that big. Got to be honest, I didn't vote, but I would have voted for Clay over Ruben because I thought Ruben's going to have a career. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, but that's but that was my thing of where my dad basically had that happen right before I went to college. So when I went to UCLA, I was really glad that I wasn't going too far. My brother was all the way across the country at Yale, so my mom's gonna be at home. She's going through this like, holy shit, what happened to my husband, my marriage, et cetera. Yep. And so yeah, it was hard to just- you know, Wait, so were they supportive then? Um, were they supportive? Were when they, you told them that you wanted to do this business oh when I told well God, I mean it was like like I told you was as a kid it was the only thing I did do like I, I I was my first acting job was at 15 years old 
being like a, a bad kid on Nash Bridges. Wow. So like I got my SAG card early and it was like, that was what I was going to do. If I wasn't going to be the second baseman of the Oakland A's, which still holding out hope because they really do love to just shuffle in and out players. Your salary would be cheap and very much in line with what they do. Oh yes. No, I'm the ultimate money ball because I'm not a baseball player. I watch that movie probably once every two months. It's so fucking good. I love it. I think Brad Pitt is unbelievable in it. And it's also just a great sports movie. Who did he lose to for the Oscar for that year? He lost. I know this. It was he, too. He was too go- easily good. It was just like he lost you look to at it, you're like John Desjardins as the artist. Oh man, like that's fucked up. No one has ever drank a soda as well as Brad Pitt in that movie. Just give him the Oscar for that. Also, the scene when he fires the um, uh, uh, who's the the scout, the head town scout. Oh guy. yeah, yeah, the old scout. And when he shoves him, and then he's like, "I'm not gonna fire you." And then he gets in his face and that whole thing, and then yeah. he just look at him. He's like. <laughs> Now I will. And then he goes in and tells the, um, uh, they're so good. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Wow. What a cast. Um, okay. So, so kid acting. See, that's one thing that I always wanted to do, but didn't have, again, the parents or the, uh, the chutzpah to know even how to do that. And, and back to your point about going from Seattle to LA, it's like having a few people that knew what they were doing, but then I did a few open mics. That was the closest to like entertainment that I was like, I can do up here. Yeah. Doing theater, theater's big in Seattle. I could have stayed up there. If I went to University of Washington and didn't get into USC, uh, I I would have done a lot of theater. I probably would have stayed in Seattle for a couple of years and done, you know, the, all the reps and all, you know, and really just made a, a home in uh, on the stage up there and, and then, you know, done stand up when I could and, I was supposed to audition for NYU and Emerson. or did audition for Emerson, got waitlisted, skipped the NYU audition because our basketball team had a one-game playoff to go to the playoffs, and they hadn't been. We just had this amazing season, and, and you know, that was my sport, and it was we hadn't been in the playoffs in 25 years. And it was I was like, like such a big deal. I'm time. not not doing this. Yeah. I was like, New York, and it's like, I want to be closer to home anyway. Were you, like a, were you on the starting five? Yeah. So I played football, basketball, baseball all through high school, then quit football to do Greece, and then was doing baseball freshman year and then, you know, made, um, you know, JV and well, to be a pitcher. the NBA All-Star game. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, you've lived out some fantasies for me. <sighs> dude, that's, that that's, was that's the level I need. That's I don't need any more than that. <laughs> yeah. Give me a first pitch at a baseball game and yes, an NBA All-Star you'll do it. game. You'll do that's, it. That's it. And I'm the fine. first pitch was cool. Uh, NBA All-Star game was cooler because basketball was a sport I wanted to play. Yeah. But first pitch was cool because... I mean, you see the shirt I'm wearing right now. It's a Claytheism <laughs> shirt. This is a Clay Thompson shirt, but wow. it's only for the like the deep cut Warrior fans. Dude, I I, I am in Steph- mourning, by the way. Oh, dude, yeah, but no, no. This but. is why I know. This is why sports are great. You have a team to mourn for. I have but, no Supersonics. No, they. they what don't. is worse though? Getting I was just because the Mariners are now the only team to never make the World Series. Now the Nationals went and won, and we have the longest playoff drought in sports history. Oof. And uh, but I, I asked one of my buddies who's a big Dodger fan, and they've made it almost three times but two times and lost mm-hmm. and almost won a third time and would have for sure lost uh, I go what's worse making it and losing or not making the playoffs in I think now 23 years and he's like for sure uh, making it and losing and I'm like I don't know dude I would love to even get a playoff game and I know that see I feel so like you're I, in a city where you have so many other 
things going on, but I feel qualified about this because I'm an A's fan. So that means I've got the we win 100 games and lose in the playoffs every yeah. single year in the most heartbreaking way possible. Yeah. And then I've got the Warriors who for the first 25 years of my life weren't even a professional basketball team. Most people didn't know they existed. And I can go deep on your Kalena Azabukis and Bimbo Coles and wow. like Todd Fuller's and all of that horrible basketball. Serenus Marshallonis. Oh my God. Yes. Well done. Andre, Andres Biedrins, who has wow, a, a great Twitter you account like for his hair. You sound like sexual... Uh, things you get a dwarf to you to do to you in Vegas, but they're actually the former NBA. The Muggsy Bogues is this one. Muggsy Bogues, dude. Yeah. Was there? So you're probably like me that. Well, see, I want to be uh, an athlete, and then when that wasn't going to happen, then I wanted to. Uh, my mom said I want to be a sports commentator, an athlete, uh, the ice cream man, a ninja turtle, or a comedian. Ooh, ninja That's, turtle was smart. She bought me for sure. She bought me a uh, Hey, you're as funny as Fozzie Bear VHS, where he would teach you stand up. And um, oh, Kermit, come over here, dude. Yeah, it was. You would basically. It was like those ta- those call and answer ones. You talk to like he'd say something, and then you would do it, and then there'd be like a beat. And if you did it in time, then he'd be like, "That was great," you know. And uh, <laughs> that was my, so good, Adam. Yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really good. And he. Uh, so that was like. That was something that I always wanted to do in the back of my head, and then again, not knowing how to start it, and then I had some friends that did open mics, and then I was like, oh, okay, cool, I'll go do one of those. Did a few, just so I could move to LA. So do when I got the first joke that you wrote? Yeah, it was about, uh, there's two of them. One was, um, uh, thanks for coming out, this feels a lot uh, like my Little League games, because my dad's not here. <laughs> and that would get half laughs, half groans, and then I did a joke about going to the gym, and how, just about the old guys, old men that would get buck naked, and how, you know, just commenting on that and then, but I, it happens so often and I can't help but like look at these old balls because part of me is like, is this what it's my future looks like? But also like some of them had really nice balls. It's also like, and you're just, and there are conversations and then all of a sudden like they'd chum you up and then you can't help but like look, it's just, you know, you're curious. And, uh, and then uh, I would go on to have these amazing workouts. So then I started to get conditioned to thinking that I needed these like ball shots before it was like it was like my creatine you know so then I'd come in and was it more the like to not be the the dangly old ones or to be the strong yes which one did you like which one was helping for the workout like when I saw Irving's low hanging fruit you know but shaved I was like oh I didn't get my best on the bench today but then I saw fucking Malcolm's tiny shriveled you know but that and incline then, dude, press starts looking real good. Yeah, dude. So then I'd come in and then something about pulling a towel, whatever. So that was, uh, that was those were those jokes. But I did a few of those, and then got into the acting school at SC. Went down. My mom was like very adamant, like because I was like, I don't want to leave you by yourself. And she, and she just met my stepdad a few months prior. Didn't know if they were going to get married yet, but she was like, you got to do college away from here. You got into this uh, school. You got to. She was very supportive and and like go do it. And so. Um, Went to SC and, and acting school was great. Didn't do stand-up at all while I was there because the BFA program was so rigorous. It was like class, you know, laid out nine to six. Uh, and then you had, you know, you got shows all the time you, that you auditioned for. Did the musical the first year. So basically, you know, even living in the frat uh, my my um, sophomore and junior year, like, I got to do shit, but I was class nine to six and then rehearsal six to 11. So like, and then I would party after that and then rinse and repeat. So soaked yeah, it up but it was at clubs like honing up I didn't want to leave also uh, campus to go do my, I wanted to enjoy college you know and uh, and also it was by the end of it it's like if I was 
I mean, that would have been crazy if I did class nine to six, rehearsal till six to 11, and then tried to find open mics late night. That would have just been bonkers. So so I didn't start, stand- I did a few house parties, like frat parties. And then when I studied abroad in London, I did a few bar shows there, but didn't start stand up till 2007 when a girlfriend and I uh, broke up. And then I was like, well, now I have nothing holding me back. I have no like commitments outside of, you know, I don't have these things where I'm, because we were doing long distance to like fly to go see her to work at Universal Studios You're to get money. You're the marvelous Mr. Maisel. You get Hilarious. a breakup and go right out there. Oh, yeah, totally. Do you show your boobs? Um, no, but they were pretty. I mean, there was. Dude, a, you're Jewish too. Yeah. This show was supposed to get made about you. <laughs> Rachel Brosnahan has your fucking Emmy. Oh my god, dude. Yeah, it was a. Uh, it was a uh, true though. Like, I figured out early on because I had a lot of trepidations about doing stand up, and I was doing like, you know, sketch and improv classes at the Groundlings, and then open mics like you know, three times a week and one foot in, one foot out in both worlds. And then I was like, oh, I got to pick one of these lanes and just go all in. But I kept having all these apprehensions because I was like, I know what it requires. I could see the people that were giving themselves over to it, sacrificing social life, sacrificing relationships and really going for it. So once her and I split up uh, and she fucked a cameraman, she was in Reno, a news reporter, she fucked a cameraman, his name's Jeff. I made a whole song about it in an animated music video. It's online, type in Adam Ray, Reno cheater. Um, and uh, and so he actually, I had a friend who worked there a little bit after, and, uh, and she told me, yeah, like, Jeff saw the video, he thinks it's hilarious, he still works there. I was like, of course he thinks it's hilarious. Of course he does. He's the one that fucking <laughs> broke it up. So then- So you murdered Jeff. Hilarious, I talk about that in the video, yeah. So it's a really catchy song, and so, uh, so then I was like, all right, now I have no reason to not go after this fully. And again, like no other commitments outside of just, you know, and uh, and then that's when I was like driving to Santa Barbara to do 10 minutes because somebody said they give me 50 bucks and I could get stage time that wasn't an open mic or go to San Diego for sh- small shows. I mean, just doing performing everywhere, doing everything. And, you know, friends calling like, hey, I thought you were coming to this birthday party. Can you come to this? Can you go to this wedding? And I was just skipping shit left and right. And. One time, uh, I I wasn't doing that right off the bat because I went to a buddy's birthday party because I felt bad and I like left an open mic early because I they, I got pushed down the line and then I went to his party and I just felt so bad I felt so guilty that I'd bailed on that and I was like man do I really want to do this I was like that and and I could tell from the gut feeling I was getting of being there so then I left the party went back <clears throat> and was able to get up late night and was felt so good and also had so much fun and it was like oh yeah this is this is what I have to do like I have to because then there's so many years first five to seven maybe <clears throat> where people back home and here just like you still doing comedy because I haven't seen your face on a billboard I haven't seen your special and you're like yeah man it takes some time it's like again like you don't know because you don't do it you're removed from this world but you know it's uh you know it's it's a grind and you got it takes you know 10 years to even find your voice and point of view so I'm really uh, just trying to but you know still in utero give me a minute yeah dude just sticking with it and then people come to shows here and there and yeah yeah pretty funny this and that and then but you have to have that delusion like in any part of this business to to know that you can you know get to a certain place and also get these mini victories and you know get on a show or have to follow remember like three years in I was on a show and Joe Rogan popped in I had to go on after him and he just destroyed and, and I did okay after but I did better than I thought I was going to because I was so nervous and in my head and I'd never had to do anything like this before and then I settled in about five halfway through the 10 minute set so even just that gave me a little bit of confidence to like stick with it you know because it was like oh man I didn't completely 
bomb or get off early and not do my time or bail, you know, like committing is a, is a big part of it and being fearless. And that only comes from reps and, and doing it. But, um, but I definitely, uh, if I didn't have stand up to like truly like, you know, go just a hundred percent balls to the wall in, like, I don't know if it would have, and I've always had this try to do as much as I can, like, post-college I was you know working at Universal Studios to make money you know as Wolverine and a tour guide and then uh, working at a casting office for fucking 50 hours a week for free and then in classes uh, with John uh, Rosenfeld and and then you know taking improv classes open mics just trying to do it all because I'm like I I just need to have as much stuff on my plate as possible Uh, but stand-up truly was like this consistency and the challenge of it and the all on you that I think bleeds into uh everything else of like oh man even despite who my reps are despite you know where I'm at despite what I've done like it's all on you to generate the momentum the excitement the enthusiasm the the uh, focus the you know what I'm content. saying yeah dude so when you're doing all that shit when do you actually write it I mean oh, it seems at like at night a lot so <clears throat> you know I'd work for so I graduated in 05 and then you know you get a theater degree going into auditions for a lot of kids got stuff right out of our showcase it took me a beat and uh didn't get an agent until i'd say 2007 and then that's when i got like a first tv gig i got a a guest star on the season premiere of according to jim and i was like i was like here we go according to adam now didn't get any my mom was like my son's on the the show the things that jim does and i'm like no not like he's on the john belushi show (laughs) nope wrong brother been dead for years and so uh there was a certain part of me that was so, again, delusional that I was like, oh, I'm like, dude, I'm on a fucking sick, a primetime sitcom. And then dude, I don't think I booked anything until a few small, tiny, like two line comedy show things. And then uh, and it didn't get the heat until 2013. So just to goes to show you that like, oh man. And having stand up and started the podcast and I think in 2012. So but, ahead of the curve on that. Was so that? shockingly ahead of the curve on that. Yeah, a little bit. You have four. I looked it up today. Four hundred and ninety-six episodes, yeah. and that's just one of, of ours that we've done. I mean, I've done a people's podcast. You know, I mean, that's 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 not that's a, a small lot. number. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's. I feel. What do you feel like the Hall of Fame is? You know, when you just get start getting into just. Shit I don't know, numbers. man. Rogan's got over a thousand. I think Marin's got over a thousand. But that's but like there's two of them. Yeah, and you've got five hundred. Yeah, it's mean, good. It's, it, it's cool, and it's also I'm just not like anything. You have to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. You no, can be I'll a second third. ballot. Yeah, for like, sure. That's. I don't need to be. You know, Griffey was unanimous except for one asshole do you know that one guy was like i mean who are you the flip side is i still think steph curry gets a lot of hate by being the only unanimous mvp in basketball history i think was he really no jordan didn't jordan just say that he wasn't oh that's why he says it yeah that's why he says it oh jordan says he shouldn't he says he has he he, his resume doesn't get him into the hall of fame yet yikes dude (laughs) yeah go back to the poker who did i just see get asked that question was it fuck it's a football player who, no, damn it. Some big athlete was like, did you hear Jordan said, oh, it was Russell Wilson. And he was just like, I mean, I love you, Mike. Steph's a fucking like, and I was like, oh yeah. He's a legend. Um, tell me though, how do you write, how do you, when do you At night a lot. And what does that look like? Is he, like- I like writing at night because I feel like everything's shut down. I don't have distractions from my phone. And, uh, and I just am real creative at that time i also write a lot on planes i write there's no process you're talking about for stand-up yeah yeah there's no real after a while you just get conditioned to seeing things you know once you really start to lock in on who you are like 
you know, even just going to this, uh, there's a new pot shop that opened up, uh, not pot shop, restaurant called Lowell's. It's West Hollywood obtained the first handful of licenses to try to turn this area into Amsterdam. By the way, Amazing. it's fucking incredible. Have to make reservations. Went with about four comics. We walk in. It feels like a restaurant. Everyone smoked. There's a Lowell's uh, are the ones that do those like uh, yes, the pre rolls stuff. Is yeah, like in a pack. Yes. So they this is the first one about ten minutes from here, and they uh, a, an, an extensive food menu that's really good. Is and it all paired? Ex- extensive pot menu, gummies, Amazing. drinks, joints. We were just sitting there waiting to get seated at the bar. Smoking uh, blunts, and then we, which were amazing. Then we sit down. We're in the corner. We're laughing hysterically. By the way, the mood in, in, in most—it's very nice. There's an outdoor patio restaurant. Feels like you're in a restaurant, and then everyone's just smoking. It was insane. It was like Amsterdam. If you've been there, it's the future. And we were loud and giggly. It was like a bachelorette party being at a funeral. Like we were not in the right <laughs> space. Most of the potheads were very like, show me. Dude, I got these new shorts, but they're they're too comfy. Everyone's me- mellow. The vibe is low. The conversations are are quiet. No, but you've got that giggle high going. We were so, yeah, we're calm. And we were just, and one of my buddies has such a great laugh and he's so loud and, and, uh, but anyway, so being around that, I, the next day was telling a buddy just about it. And I try to be as present in experiences as possible. Some things I say yes to that I don't want to just because I know there's material potentially to be had from it. But a lot of things I just do because I have a zest for doing, you know, you can get boggled down and get into a mundane, monotonous routine of like, your schedule in life and I try to because even on this night I was like dude I got these shows my buddy was like dude you fucking don't hang like cancel come do this and I was like you know I do want to do that and so you know because you got to find that balance too man and there's the whole live a life worth writing about cliche that is fucking right true yes for everything yeah and um and so afterwards again like getting conditioned to see the funny and stuff I started to my buddy just conversationally about you know how you know, because the the waitress would come and she would we'd be like, yo, you want to hit this? And she'd smoke and whatever. And then I was like, that's probably why it took 90 minutes to get a root beer float, <laughs> which is not a joke. She came back and it was melted. I mean, it was like, man. but then she brought the other food. and It was great. And at one point, my buddy's laughing so hard. And then he stops laughing. And then she just literally shows up and goes, hey, guys, who wants some mini corn dogs? And we started laughing even harder because it was like the I was like, that should be the commercial for this place. Like that's he was it. crying, laughing. And then mini corn dogs showed up. And uh, so. Right, so then I made some notes that day after talking to my buddy, and then flushed them out phone, later. That or do you have like a notebook with you. Or? I, I lost a couple notepads that were it was devastating. So now I write everything in my phone or record it into memos. But I've even lost the memo thing before, so now it's just all emails. Because if I ever lose my phone, I, I can obtain it somehow. Um, and then I worked, I did a, a story about it um, a few nights ago, and that's what's great about getting to a place to where I'm a regular at all the clubs and can go up a lot of places. And that's why my mom's always like, you need more sleep. Why are you doing three shows tonight? You just got back in town. And I'm like, because I remember so vividly scraping for a couple spots a week. And now I can go up multiple times. I'm going to do that. A, because I still love it. Even if I'm tired, there's so many comics at the comedy store, especially now, which is popping. Like you got to stay in the mix, man. And if I stop, if I, you know, like even if I'm, if I'm gone, like this week I put in for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Sunday. I'm going to get back, you know, Sunday afternoon. And then, yeah, so some people will go, yeah, I'm going to take that night off. I just got back. I'm like, no, nah, man, I got to, when I can get in, I want to get in, you know. And uh, and also to be able to work on stuff that you just thought of is pretty great. And that's the fun of it, you know. So I'm writing notes here and there. I write on stage a lot. I like to have, some people can t- just take the smallest nugget of an idea and riff on it. And I'll do that if... I have some sort of a base, you know, um, but uh, what happens when you're 
Because you just had an album, which I really like, yeah, by yeah. the way. Oh, did you listen to it? I did. I did. Uh, I have a really similar Disneyland story to you, actually. Please tell. I, well, my brother and I, that used to be the thing we would do. We would just get really baked and go to Disneyland. And that's how you know that we did not get into a lot of trouble. Because that was the, like, extreme. That's a safe activity. Well, safe ish well yeah. you, you don't know where it's going right how crazy was that story that by the story's way? out of this world <clears throat> it's my album read the room it's on uh spotify amazon google play all the yeah, itunes go listen to it and i want to ask you about writing an album in a second yeah, yeah. but so, we tell your story so i well I, I remember the first time taking the the little tram into disneyland oh, yeah and being high and looking at mickey mouse and just being like he's all circles He's just all circled. Wow. He's got a single straight line. It's just like Scarlett Johansson. I remember those were all the thoughts that I had. Just like Scarlett time. Johansson. It's just all circles. It's all circles everywhere. That, I just re- vividly remember that thought going into Disneyland. Did you have any character interactions? Oh, I wanted to talk to all of my brothers way more embarrassed about that stuff. And so I'd be like, it's Pooh Bear. And he'd be like, we're going. There's a churro. Like, let's. let's. Wait, so why? Did you have edibles or so just So we smoke? had edibles. Yeah. Because people should know. That's what happened in the story. I was on three pop brownies. And edibles are just a bad idea where there's that many people. Oh, yeah. And also, like, I don't think anybody truly, unless you cooked them you don't and know sliced them, there. you don't know how much. Nope. And you don't want to be a bitch and fact check and nope. ask somebody if there's a safe amount of weed. You just want to <laughs> trust and go along with the experience. Yeah. And so you end up taking more than you should. So my brother, he's even paler than I am. He's prone to getting heat stroke. We are at uh, Splash Mountain and he gets, he gets peaked. He all of a sudden gets so white and he like kind of just slumps over and I'm like, Graham, are you okay? Are you okay? And he's like, mm-hmm. And then he turns and he vomits on a tourist right next to him. Yes. And this, this poor woman uh, did not speak any English and did not know how this had happened to her. She had like two fanny packs on like both sides and oh. she's got vomit running down her leg. She's like, is this like one of the attractions? This, she was not, the germ factor. I mean, I think she wanted a mask instantly. It was not no. okay. So I get my brother to the bathroom. He's throwing up. I'm getting rid of the contraband brownies that I've got. And then instantly all these people in like matching tan button down shirts and shorts, just like they bust into the bathroom and they know exactly where he is. They'd go right to his stall and two of them come right to me. What did he take? What did he take? And then someone else comes in the room and goes straight for where I already threw out the brownies. So they saw that in the camera. So they grab the brownies. They grab him. They have me. It's done in like 35 seconds. It's like outbreak. Oh, it was quarantine. They're like, we don't want you guys to affect. By the way, puke, drugs, these are things that that hinder the experience for children. It's true. And uh, especially at a theme park when it's not like... It's the happiest place on earth. It's not the pukiest place on earth. It's also not the... But look, Disneyland knows... That's Six Flags. Hilarious. Disneyland also knows that everyone's... There's probably... What percentage daily do you think walks into that park on some sort of uh, hallucinogen or... 43%. Yeah. Under half because Even I'm sure there's dads that have like, you know, hit the pen before they go in. Oh, yeah. Or, um, How are you going to put up with that whole day? Ecstasy. I mean, like, I, shrooms. I know people shroom and go to Disneyland a lot. My dad had a story where he got off the boat and it's a small world. Uh, but, so they end up putting us in this van and driving us out of the park. And I still remember the guy turned and looked at us. He, like, kicks us out, opens the van door. And he says, you're never allowed in Disneyland again. That's not nice. And then left this long pause and then says... For 24 hours. Holy shit. I didn't realize they dropped us off nowhere near where our car was. So we're just like high as a kite. My brother's like dehydrated and like still needs to puke. And we have to walk like half a mile back to our car. Oh my God. It was, uh, it was, it was really the best time I've ever had at Disneyland. Yeah. Anyway, I recommend it to everybody. Oh yeah. It was good. That's awesome. Yeah. No, it's good to bond. But, uh, writing that album. Yeah. 
I mean, that's a lot of writing. How yeah. do you? I feel like everyone now that stand up shows, there's like the idea that everyone's like YouTubing your shit constantly. Yeah. How do you keep it like fresh? How do you get like a whole hour without it getting out there? Well, I'm not at a point where people are, and people take pictures and video here and there, but I also am not at a point to where it's like so sacred. Like Chappelle, yeah, he locks people's shit up because a special for him is worth a lot of money and he uh, is real protective of his stuff. I'm kind of like, you know, some of these bands are like, yeah, if, I mean, obviously you don't want stuff that you're working on to get out before it's ready and you want it to have be special and be on an album or a, or a special. But, um, you know, there, that's why I post a lot of crowd work videos because I've gotten pretty good at that. And so I like that. You handled that, the heckler in the, in the album. Oh, yeah, it was really funny. Love that part. It was, uh, it was cool to keep that in there. And, and so that stuff people really enjoy if they can tell that some spontane, uh, spontaneous moment happened and, and you made it funny and it was they got to experience that. And only at that time, but uh, I mean, I I probably had a couple hours of material that I was sifting through to do for that album, and then just kind of, you know, picked and choose, and even edited out probably twenty minutes from that. Uh, I think we should, you know recorded maybe an hour thirty or something, and chopped it down to the um, to the hour. But do you I mean, that's a bunch again why shows or just the one did uh, four at the Punchline in San Francisco. Yeah, and how and do then, you decide? And took mostly from uh, the second show. How do you decide like which theater you're gonna do this? Like, what are the mechanics of that? I mean, it. Uh, well, since it was just, I mean, I had my buddies tape it and put that full album on YouTube because it looked so good. And and but it was really just an album, not to be uh, was gonna make it like uh, uh, visible. I was just gonna use some clips and also for promos, but. But the audio was so good and, and it looked so good and they had enough uh, angles and was shot on the red. That I was like, oh, might as well put this up because it looks good. And, um, and you know, I think it's just, I've done that room so many times, so I was comfortable there and it was real intimate. I think it only holds like 2.30. And, uh, you know, I, a small theater for a special is probably the move. But also you want to be, I just heard Bill Burr talking about this too. He's like, you want to pick a place that you're, don't pick a brand new spot. Do a place you've done before, a place that you feel comfortable that you're, it's your shit. You want to like, and even if that is a little smaller or a little bigger place, like something that, that where you feel like you can be at your, at your best. And I, I had uh, opened when I was opening for Bobby Lee, I was the first guy that took me on the road. I was going to that room a lot. And San Fran's just a smart, funny, you know, easily digestible. They laugh at a lot. Of, they, they have a broad spectrum of things they enjoy and, and they're not too heady and they're not too, uh, they don't, you know, turn their head at, at blue stuff, and so, uh, and I just love that club, and they were, they were, you know, easy for me to to put it all together. So there, you feel but. like they they're gonna dig your vibe. You said a lot about like it's all about finding your voice. Do you yeah. feel like you could? Do you feel like you've almost like branded yourself? Do you have like a thesis statement for what that is, or is it something that's more like a gut? Oh thing? man, you're asking me for like to write my bio. No, I'm, I guess I'm just wondering like, are you that aware of it? Like, do you could? Do I think you, I mean my show is I don't get real political. I don't get super, you know, tackle. Like racial things. Um, I mean, it's just fun. I was talking about this with another comedian named Josh Wolf, and it's like people just walk out of our shows where, with the crowd work and my material being like universally, uh, like you know, appealing. You know, talking about you know uh, working at Universal Studios, and then talking about being an uncle, and talking about friends, kids, and and uh, girlfriend stuff, and and. Um, you know, uh, you know, party stories and, and uh, you know, playing the NBA celebrity, just experiences and things and this pot stuff now coming up, we'll get a chunk out of that and, and you know, partying with the Kings of Leon on this tour with, with uh, Adam Devine and just certain things like that that 
you know, and some topical stuff. And it's just a fun, upbeat show. People walk out having a good time. And, and, and the crowd work stuff always makes it unique. Every show is different because of that. I also was bringing for a while, and now I'm doing it sporadically, a buddy of mine uh, named Avery Pearson, who's like a master keyboard player. We both have a big musical theater background. We would close the show after I do an hour stand-up, do 25 minutes of uh, improvised musical crowd work, mm-hmm. and uh, and a lot tying in some of the crowd work from the show. And so that's on the album, too. Yep. Only a little piece, but there's a bunch of clips online. But, man, that crushes because, again, it's nobody's doing it. There's people that do keyboard stuff, but they're written songs. This is all like a, an improvised musical off but it's all separate things and and um so you go by instinct a lot of the time oh yeah it's like this is just my life this is my point of view i mean i have a map of everything for every show i have stuff in chunks of what i'm gonna do and uh and um but that changes like i'll start if i know how i'm gonna start the first 10 minutes you just try to hit it hard for 20 25 and kind of maybe do more stories or longer stuff in the middle than some crowd work to kind of break the monotony of the material and connect with the audience, which is really why I love doing it because it really brings everybody together. And when there's a check drop or if I feel like certain material is I'm not even into talking about that night, going to the crowd work stuff because it just gets everybody's energy and attention up. Um, if you're I mean, trying to make people feel good, is that why you avoid the politics and the Trump? and all Totally. I it? think it's an escape. And I think there's people that do that. Look, I have a few Trump jokes. I have some stuff I've written about that but I also don't like doing it right now well, so and there's comedy's fucking hard right now if it's about politics well there's people that, that do it and crush it John Oliver Bill Maher um, you know Samantha B like people that really that's their lane and they crush it but it's like I don't I watch all that stuff but I don't I, I to be informed and to have you know to, to laugh a little at it but I don't I do think it's an escape and so people are wanting to come out to just be entertained and so that's what my show is you know what do you think about that Todd Phillips quote that's been going around yeah, that was weird I, like do you think there's some truth like he basically said that it's like too hard to be funny now because no, of woke people right like, no I don't kind of I a- think he's that's just I look at his opinion I think Patton Oswalt had a tweet right after that where he just tweeted out a ton of specials and movies and comics and actors of kind of you know uh, diffusing that and being like what about all of this great stuff yeah and I think he's just He's entitled to his opinion. I think he's chose a different way of making movies. Maybe, I don't know. I think, did he do the movie Tag? I think so. Yeah. I think he did. I, 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 would, did he I would do just Tag? Be, I don't know. Right. I'm curious to see what this that statement is rooted in. Like, what what did he do? That, or maybe I'm sure he still gets comedies. Maybe he doesn't. Also, maybe his just palette is changing for what he wants to do. And so, and it's like, also, dude, like. Yeah, he did The Hangover, and then I, I, I what else he do? Do you do Road Trip, maybe? He does yes. some great comedies, but, like, maybe he just isn't wanting to do that anymore, so is that his way of being, like, or maybe he had some and they didn't work, and that's why he says that? Um, anytime somebody slams something, it's always, to me, rooted in something of, like, they're jealous that they can't do it or won't try it or did do it and it didn't work. Yeah. Or um, some kind of projection or like some buttons getting pushed. Unless it's just, I mean, unless we are talking about, you know, um, you know, anything Trump related. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. He, he, uh, he crushed the Joker. I thought that was amazing. It was. But I don't know. It, uh, I don't give too much thought into that stuff other than like, cool, like what, what happened that made him ha- that had him be so far into the world of comedy and now he is like you can't even do it without and look there are SNL definitely doesn't take as many risks as they used to because of um, because of you know also they you know have some 
many much money in ads and stuff that I think they do have to have their finger a little closer to the eject button on certain topics and jokes because they don't want to ruffle feathers but there's still plenty of people and Chappelle and Bill Burr specials I thought were really important for comedy as far as like you know and there's just now more voices there's now more publications of people trying to start and instigate uh, feuds over the smallest things that uh, you know but you just got to be smart on not listening to it all and having your own opinion and and uh, and not letting like I don't know we're so quick to like see something printed and be like oh that's probably what that's what it is because it was you see the headline or whatever and, and not to make your own choice about what you feel about that before uh, just jumping on the bandwagon but so you said that'll never end about comedy because I feel like a lot of people you oh, yeah, people talk I, about it and, and it hasn't like, affected comedy clubs at all man I see every <clears throat> night uh, you know and people too that are still coming to clubs are not those people that are like they still are coming for yeah they're still coming for they're like dude I know what people are saying out there but like I'm in here because I want you to fucking bring it you know and uh, so I'm not worried about it at all what's a really like do you have an image of the worst show you've ever done oh yeah I would love to hear like a, a story about bombing I was doing uh, I was doing a bar show like three years in I was still work. I was playing Wolverine at Universal Studios and my buddy <laughs> used to that. live in Paso Robles and he had me come up and open for him and people were real drunk and real rowdy. It was about 300 people packed into this uh, upstairs bar. And uh, and bar shows, you know, you got to do them. Again, don't turn down any spot when you're starting out. And I'll even now say yes to them in certain places if I'm in a, a city and and a, a young comic is like, hey, I'm running the show. You come do it. And it's like if it's a condu- conducive for comedy, if the TVs are off, if the sound is good, if people are listening and there's not a lot of chatter at the bar, like if you're set up to win and people can hear, then I'm, I'm always down. Um, but... Uh, and so the, it was that but people were pretty rowdy and they were all there for my buddy they had me do 30 minutes I think it was just too long and so about 20 minutes in I could feel I needed to get off but I was like I came all the way out here I want to do my time you know Yeah. and challenge myself to get through what I'm feeling and then this uh, uh, woman who was kind of drunk off in the corner started yapping at me and people were kind of you know with her and it was creating a whole thing and I was losing the crowd and, and then I made some comment about you know, some stupid hacky thing about her being my mom or something. And like, you know, what are you doing? Embarrassing me. And then she was like, I'm going to give you a kiss. And then I was like, should I let her give me a kiss? And like, yeah, they went nuts. You know, I was like, fuck. And that gets a big response. And like, not all these crafted bits that I've been throwing at you. And so I go over and she slobbers on me. It's made some STD joke. And then I'm looking down. I'm about 15 feet away from her. Right. And I'm looking down and uh, thinking of like where I'm, my, what my next move is and I see a wine glass we're in wine country like I see her kind of go up with her hand like slowly raise up and I'm looking down I just see it in my peripheral vision and uh, definitely you know out of sorts like being like fuck what, am I, what material do I have left from three years in I'm fucking doing 30 minutes I definitely don't I have 30 minutes I have realistically seven good minutes but I'm doing 30 <laughs> and so I see her hand go up and before I can really put together like what's happening I just see her hand kind of do like a, a fling motion and she threw her wine glass at me from again about 12, 15 Whoa. feet away. And I uh, I don't have enough wherewithal to kind of turn and whatever. I just kind of like put my hand kind of like this to shield it, kind of maybe to block. I'm still kind of looking down and, and wincing at the same time. It's good you and, had that Ninja Turtle training earlier in life. This is, yeah. why, this is why you needed it. Thank you, Mom. Yeah. And so the base of the wine glass hits my palm in a way oh, shit. that kind of like sticks to the the maybe the sweatiness of my palms or the glass, whatever it was, it kind of hit 
and didn't like break and just the base of the glass hit my hand so you, that like, I could basically off? it stuck for a second so that I could just wrap my hand around the base of the glass. So I basically snabbed a wine glass out of midair. As soon as I realized that I did that, I slowly turned towards the wine glass. There's a kind of a pause. And then I just turn to the crowd and I hold up the wine glass and go, ah! and everybody goes, ah! and then I walk over to her and I put, and I'd done some jokes about being Wolverine. I put the wine glass on her table and I go, I told you I'm Wolverine, bitch. Don't fuck with me. And everybody went nuts. And then they kicked her out. And then guys that she was with started getting riled up because I, you know, said bitch to her. And then one of the guys tried to come rush onto the stage. Oh, shit. And then I had to stop that. And then kind of there was a 15, 20 minute thing of people being like, hey, calm down, whatever. We're here for Brett. Like everybody. And then they cleared it out, cleared those people out. And everybody went nuts for my buddy and he crushed drank with all the locals after as drunk as I've ever was because it was again my first taste of like a show where I was a rock star for a minute in Paso Robles where there's no stand up so he mm-hmm. brought this show there that had happened drank and smoked with everybody went back to the courtyard Marriott was so drunk that I was like I needed yeah, I needed to take a shower I just needed to like rinse the fucking booze out of me yeah. fully clothed fell out of the shower twice Will Clifton, who was uh, um, rooming with me, he was uh, the other comic on the show. He's in the room, and I'm so drunk, and I'm trying to, like, play it off. So he's like, brother, you okay, man? You all right? From Kansas City. He's like, are you okay, man? I'm in the shower. I'm like, I'm fine. Just need to get it clean. He's like, all right, man, do your thing. You know your clothes are on, right? I'm like, I'm all good, dude. Worry about yourself. <laughs> Fall out of the shower. Ba-boom. Fucking fell asleep. Fell out of the shower. Oh, shit. By the way, dangerous, because my legs just fell out from under me, the the side of the, sh- the bathtub shower you used combo. all your resources on... Like I was no, I had my wine glass. No, no, I know. Now. I was tapped out. Yeah. I had no dexterity. I was leaning up against the shower like I'd lost a big game, and then all of a sudden wake up falling out. Boom, boom, and I hear him go, "Brother, are you okay? Do you just fall out of the fucking shower?" And I'm like, "No, nah, man, I'm chilling. I'm just shaving." And he's like, "What?" I get back in the shower, fall out again, and then he starts banging. He goes, "Dude, I think you just fell out of the shower a second time, man. You gotta let me in." I'm like, "No, get away from me." And then there's now water on the floor. Finally, I get up, open the door, grabbed a Marie Callender's pot pie that I'd bought from the hotel snack lounge. Uh, couldn't get it open, threw it against the window, cracked the window, and then <laughs> fell on the bed and went to sleep. And the next morning, had like a bill from the hotel that was like, hey, and I was like, are these the uh, pot pie casualties? They're like, what does that mean? I'm like, is this the bill? And then I don't think I'll probably be allowed of the courtyard Marriott and Paso Robles for a while, but that was worst slash best gig. But there's been, yeah, there's been bombs and whatever and and uh but now it, there's no bombs not because now it's like i trust myself enough to handle anything and i have uh on shows where either a bit doesn't go well and i can save it or i have material coming up right after or and this is one thing that you learn as you just get more seasoned is to not bail on yourself so if you're trying a new bit and it's not going well don't just go all right well fucking about that like Stay in the pocket, as they say, and uh, as uh, this comedian Brett Ernst told me, stay in the pocket, and and if you feel it's not going the way you wanted to, you thought laughs were coming there, they didn't. This happens, then fucking stay, stay present, stay locked in in the pocket on what you're talking about, and you know, ask yourself questions. If that's what you think about this, then what else? So it's like if that thing didn't get a laugh, you clearly have more to say on that topic or whatever you're bringing up. So go down another path and just f- and find it you know don't just immediately take the easy way out and be like don't take the sack that two lines I had yeah and exactly or just don't check down exactly dude so many uh, similarities with sports and, and comedy but uh, but that story is you know just so insane so it's 
I felt worthy of a podcast. So I feel like we probably have to wrap up, right? Sure. I feel like we're right around there, but yeah. I do want to ask you one last one, Yeah. which is uh, just like, say someone's never fucking done stand-up in their life. It's not like acting classes where there's a yeah. hundred studios and a hundred teachers. Right. It does seem like, it, it seems like everyone just says, go to an open mic and learn it or, 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 yeah, there really or is, drown. Is yeah. that really how you start? How would There somebody... are some classes, and I even took a, a class maybe four months in that was basically like, um, go to, give me one sec. It was, uh, it was a class that uh, was basically, um, you know, like 300 bucks where you got to do a show at the improv at the end. And, um, you know, they helped kind of uh, cultivate a, a five minute set for you from talking and then you get in groups and you write. It was just a way to kind of uh, kickstart the whole process for you and, and get disciplined to, to be a part of your routine. But those classes I don't think are, there's no replacement for the work. You gotta just get up. You have to write, yeah, and get up. Write and I get asked, up, write and get up, and write and just Yeah, rinse and repeat, man. And then time is your best friend, and then it takes time to, I've so, had so many young friends from college or even now later starting being like, after they do it for five or six months, like, how do I get to become a regular at the Laugh Factory? How do I get this? I'm like, dude, there is no fucking blueprint. When it's time, it'll happen for you. Obviously, networking and, and being out and meeting comics and, and, you know, Bobby Lee, for me, hanging at the comedy store, uh, saw me and then took me on the road and then I started answering phones at the comedy store and that just got me around there more, met more people, shooting the shit and then people you know you have to do all that extra stuff it's not just going up and then going home and then posting on Facebook hey I'm coming to New York Any, can I be on anybody's shows dude I, that drives me crazy because I'm like dude do the work go to the club and introduce yourself to the booker if he's there or ask who's the manager and say I'm from here blah 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 what's the process that goes a long uh, a, a way longer way than just and I learned this from doing it from from and again this is my experience my point of view it's not my way or the highway he's but saying this is, what, this is the gospel this is how it is there are <laughs> yeah. no alternatives I'm not what Jason Alexander did to me when he guest professed a class at USC where he was like somebody one kid said in the scene study class if uh if he didn't do it this way. And he was like, good luck, man. He's like, I was on fucking Seinfeld. So you know, <laughs> said it in jokingly, but also told the kid, like you young, dumb motherfucker, like you don't want to listen to me right now. I'm here to, to show you. It's fucking George Costanza. Yeah, listen dude, to the take man. A, take a lot of what he's saying uh, at face the value. Note. Try the note. Try the note. Try the note. And uh, try the note, Jerry. You know, why don't you just try the note? Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to <laughs> try the note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a note. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, uh, what was I saying about, um, uh, oh, you got you to gotta meet the booker. Yeah, You yeah. got to introduce yourself. I emailed uh, this booker and was like, hey, I'm in town. I'm a young comic, blah, blah. And the guy just blew me off and was like, yeah, we don't have whatever. And then I went down and met him and he was like, oh, yeah. And he, and he told me, he goes, dude, always come down and meet the person. He's like, yeah, I fucking was like, who gives a shit from your email? So I try to tell people that. But, um, but writing and getting up, I emailed Patton Oswalt on MySpace because a friend of mine and I's sketch had gotten on the front page of, my, uh, front page of MySpace and uh, when, when it when it was kind of cool. And uh, Patton messaged me because he was friends with my friend who was in the sketch and said, great job on this. It was really funny. I took that as an open door to be like, hey, you got any stand-up advice? He's like, dude, uh, I'd hate to do this, but I'm gonna copy and paste and sh send you what I give to all young comics that ask me this. And it was basically that about getting up and writing and you control what you can control, getting, getting funnier, and the rest will happen when it's supposed to. But control what you can control. 
And so that's what I would tell anybody that's like, thinking do about the doing damn it. work. Do, do the, the work, dude. And, and if you find yourself getting lazy and you want to go to that party, or you want to do this for the I skipped best friend's weddings to do. When Bobby Lee first asked me to go on the road with him, I took that and skipped one of my best friend's weddings. I wasn't in the wedding party. So guess what? Colin, if you had fucking asked me, then maybe I would have showed up. Uh, Colin, you could have changed his whole life no, for the worse no by I bringing mean, you to the wedding. No. It, dude, it, it could have been a uh, tight family member's wedding. And I still would have skipped it because... It was something I'd worked for and it was a big opportunity. And Bobby even told me later, he's like, yeah, if you'd said no, I would ask somebody else. And because uh, he had a nice little rotation of openers, I ended up being his only one for a couple of years because of that gig that led to more that led to. So it's just about how much you want it to and being realistic with yourself and being like, man, did I not do a show because I <clears throat> again, life gets in the way and bouncing out and girlfriend and this. And you got to, like I said, live life and do some things. But, you know. There's only so many hours in the day, and if it's like, oh, I didn't have time to write today, it's like, man, did you take an Uber 30 minutes somewhere where you couldn't have fucking done? I mean, I'm... Did you take a shit? You could have written while you're there. Hilarious. Right? Wow. We all spent a while there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have time to jerk off? Yeah. You, could, you had hey, time. Multitask. You, you had time. You had time. You had priorities Maybe instead of looking for new uh, browsers and going to new sites, pull up your go-to, yep. knock it out, Get done have 10 quick. more minutes to... Uh, to think about your take on, uh, you know, traffic lights. I don't oh, know, God. dude. Uh, yeah, dude, I don't want to see that guy. <laughs> that, that, that's gonna be, that's, the guy doing bar mitzvahs. <laughs> yeah. The guy's terrible. That was a Fozzie Bear bit that he taught me. When I was um, so anything to plug real quick? Yeah, got, so. Yeah, the album. Uh, album, Read the Room. Uh, I have my first comedy music album coming out, which I'm very pumped about. Oh, shit. Uh, December 13th, pre-order uh, November 29th on adamraycomedy.com. It's all these fully produced musical um Really great songs. Johnny Resnick, the lead singer of the Goo Goo Dolls, is on one of the tracks. Uh, I got a bunch of special guest impressionists, Frank Caliendo, uh, that did because there's five sketches. It's kind of like a Sandler throwback album. Nice. Um, so that comes out December 13th. Uh, I'm a voice on She-Ra. That's on Netflix. That's on um, Netflix. I'm her talking horse sidekick. Uh, and then there's a movie that I did called The Bellman uh, with Thomas Lennon and Richard Kind that comes out. Uh, I think in January, but well, that's, that's really a ways exciting. away. And then stand-up dates, adamraycomedy.com, the podcast about last night, and uh, and that's it, man. Yeah, well, go check him out. Go support all this shit. One last little thing that you yeah. mentioned, Johnny Resnick. Oh, yeah. Slide was one of my favorite songs Whoa. in high school growing up, Me and too. I only realized what it was about like three weeks ago. What is it about? It's about abortion. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's that second? That's uh, I would you, call him right now and on air. Don't you ask him love that, the but... life you've killed? The priest is on the phone. Your mother hit the wall. Don't you love the life you killed? You don't suppose I'll ever know what it means to be a man. I don't think I'll ever change. I'll, I'll live around it. Oh my fucking god! And it's I like, did not. I knew Brick was about abortion, but I didn't know that like <laughs> oh, every song I love. Oh Ben from... Folds, Brick. Oh yeah, yeah. But it turns out all these songs from the 90s, when I thought they were singing about my teenage angst, it well, was about their... Alanis's song is about... Uh, Dave Coulier. Right. I mean, Uncle Joe, you gotta cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a handful of songs, I think, that we don't realize the deeper... All right, do you mind if I play you a part of this? I want to hear it. I so this is the part. It's a song about my nieces on the album, uh, Songs for the People, out December 13th. And so uh, it's a power 80s ballad about my nieces, <laughs> how much I love them. And, uh, and Resnick has a little part. So let's see.
I wrote this, obviously. Yes, you did. Good, right? Oh yeah, music's real good. He's been working on his pipes. I haven't heard a Goo Goo Dolls album in a while. Yes. Yeah, dude. Did you ever think this is where you'd be in your life? No. <laughs> from, from playing fucking Danny Zuko in Greece to writing lyrics for Johnny Resnick. Can I be honest? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you <laughs> no, no, not at all, dude. <laughs> but it's it's dude. It's the music's pretty good, man. But he, I mean, he was so cool to uh to do that we i met them at sirius uh i was doing the stern wrap-up show to promote some shows in new york they were there doing stern and i went up to them and you know uh there's a difference between being proactive and being a nuisance but you don't ask you don't get mom always taught me that obviously timing right place right time they were super cool i left my buddy goes did you ask him to do the podcast i was like no he's like fucking why not i was like good point went back they had a new album coming out so who does have a new album coming? Well, they just came out with one called Miracle Pill. Oh, but this was four years ago. It was called Boxes. And their manager was like, yeah, give me your info. Well, come on. Now they come on every time they're in town because they love doing it. It's like one Amazing. of the only press things they do. Been to shows and developed a cool uh, friendship with them. And I was like, dude, hail Mary, but do you have time? They're about to go on a new tour. And uh, and the manager, Johnny, he was like, he's like, Johnny's all about it. He's like, but, um, you know, you only gave me a week because I it was one of those last minute things. So I was like, I wonder if he'd do it. And he's like. I was able to buy two more days for him to do it, and so he did it in between rehearsals and uh, yeah. and crushed it. And it's also a good song. I was like, what song could he do that where he could do some goo goo belting? Oh, you know I what feel I'm saying? like you wrote a goo goo doll yeah. song. I feel like you did <laughs> work because he's got classic. Right? Like, I was trying to think Iris uh, adjacent. You know? Because I want you to know <laughs> yeah. who I am. I mean, come on, dude. Baby's black balloon does make her fly. Wow. Right. Do we go out on that? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> it. I think that's it. Good night. Good night. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for being on. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Adam. Thank you to presenting sponsor John Rosenfeld Studios. Uh, for more about Adam, check out his podcast about last night. That's everywhere you get podcasts. Go to adamraytv.com for info on his stand-up. And uh, the album is Read the Room. I listen to it on Spotify. You can find it there. I'm sure you can also find it on his website and YouTube and all sorts of other fun places. Uh, please keep telling your friends about the show. Please give us a, a rate and review and a shout-out on Instagram. Uh, very last thing, I just landed in Sydney, Australia. Oh my God. Uh, it's pretty incredible here. If anybody has any recommendations, please tweet them at me uh, or the show. You can also email me at industrytownpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back with another new episode on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend.